We continue our sermon series through the book of the Acts. This morning reading from chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, picking up from where we left off last Sunday. And where we left off at the end of verse 20, uh, chapter 24, the end of chapter 24, uh, at verse 27, please note it says, when two years had elapsed, that is to say, uh, two years following, uh, during which time the Apostle Paul was there in Caesarea, being held in protective custody in prison. When two years had elapsed, Felix, the Roman governor, was succeeded by Porcius Festus, a new governor. But, please note, at the end of chapter 24, and desiring to do the Jews, that is the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, desiring to do the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem a favor, Felix, before he was succeeded, left Paul in prison. So that's where we're picking up. With Paul having been in prison in Caesarea for more than two years. Let's ask the Lord now to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word, which is written for our profit, for our instruction, for our application. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our good and gracious God. And we give you thanks that you have committed to sacred scripture your holy word by the power of your spirit. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would send your spirit upon us afresh to open our minds and to open our hearts and to help us not only to hear but to heed what you say in your written word. And we ask it for the edification of our souls, the advance of your kingdom and the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. It is written. Now three days after Festus, the new Roman governor, had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul and they urged him asking as a favor against Paul that Festus summon Paul to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill Paul on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that Festus himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After Festus stayed among them in Jerusalem, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, Festus took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When Paul had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him 
bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his own defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings on earth, be all glory, power, honor, and dominion forevermore. Amen. Last Sunday, we read the account of the Apostle Paul's trial before Felix, the Roman governor of Judea. You remember Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and falsely accused of corrupting Judaism and of stirring up trouble for the Roman Empire. And we saw last week that Paul cheerfully made his defense against those false accusations. And Paul took his appearance before Governor Felix as an opportunity to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Now, in many respects, the same points arise again in today's passage. Acts 25, 1 through 12, although two years have elapsed, at least. But again, in this passage, Paul again is on trial, this time before a new Roman governor, Festus. Again, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem make false accusations against Paul. Again, Paul makes his own defense, emphasizing that he is guilty of no crime against the Jewish faith, against the temple, or against Rome. And again, Paul appeals to Roman law in his defense. As a Roman citizen, Paul appeals to Roman law, civil law, in order to protect himself and the gospel, emphasizing over and over again that he is no threat to Caesar. And therefore, much of what I said in last Sunday's sermon could be repeated today but I'm not going to do that. If you didn't hear last Sunday's sermon, it's available online. So today, I want to look at today's passage more thematically. And I want to ask the question, what's going on here? What, what's, the, 
What's the big picture here in Paul's life? What, what do we see going on in the big picture perspective of Paul's life? And what can we learn from that in a way that makes a difference in the interpretation of our own lives? So this sermon today is going to have more of a meditative or devotional quality about it rather than a strictly expository emphasis. And I want us to reflect on this passage under two major headings. Number one, the sovereignty of God, and number two, the mystery of providence. Number one, the sovereignty of God. That word sovereignty means soul, S-O-L-E, or absolute rule or reign. R-E-I-G-N is the root word of that word sovereignty. Soul, S-O-L-E, reign. God is God all the time, everywhere, over all things. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Daniel 4.35 says that God does according to His will among the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or ask Him, What have you done? In his letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul himself wrote that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. He doesn't try. God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, all of these Bible verses are expressions of God's sovereignty, even over a world which is fallen in sin and in constant rebellion against him, God rules over all things with sovereign power and works all things according to the counsel of his will, even over, in, and through the evil deeds which evil men and women do. God is sovereign and works all things according to the counsel of his will, and indeed, under God's sovereignty, Sovereignty, as Romans 8, 28 says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And that, of course, Romans 8, 28, is one of our favorite memory verses from the pen of the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about that. Take Romans 8.28 off of your refrigerator and lay it over on the life of the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about that. 
Let's think about what we've read through the book of Acts thus far and consider the fact that a lot of the all things that the Apostle Paul experienced were not very good and happy. Let's think about that. Let's meditate on the sovereignty of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus was saved by grace on the road to Damascus through his extraordinary encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ who appeared in a blinding light and spoke to Saul from heaven. But Saul's conversion was simply the first step of his calling and commissioning as the apostle to the Gentiles, hence his Gentile name, Paul. But you see, we might say it like this. Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus was not simply about him. This is important. It wasn't simply about him. We might even say that it, it, it wasn't even primarily about him, but rather about the calling which Jesus Christ had for him for the sake of the gospel the salvation of the Gentiles, the worldwide glory of God in the church of Jesus Christ, including us here today. But, but, that important calling which the sovereign Lord Jesus had for Paul, that, that commissioning which the sovereign Lord Jesus gave to Paul from the very beginning was a calling and a con commissioning which would necessarily involve suffering, and a lot of it. You may remember that after Paul arrived in Damascus, he met a Christian disciple there named Ananias, and Jesus had also appeared to Ananias in a vision and given him instructions to go and find Paul and to pray for Paul to receive his sight. And the sovereign Lord, Jesus, said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The sovereign Lord had a plan for Paul. He would carry the name of Jesus Christ, the name of salvation, the name of all authority to the Gentiles even before their kings as well as the children of Israel, the Jews. But this unique calling would involve suffering, much suffering. And throughout the book of Acts, since chapter 9, we have heard over and over again of Paul's suffering for Christ's sake. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul summarized what he personally endured as an apostle. This is what faithfulness to Jesus Christ got him. Imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was at drift to sea. On frequent danger 
on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now my point at the moment is simply this. We might possibly be inclined to ask the question. Don't you think we might be inclined to ask a question that sounds something like this? If God is sovereign over all things, and the, the Apostle Paul was faithfully doing God's will, then why did Paul have to suffer so much. I think that we're inclined to ask that kind of question because to tell you the truth, I hear that kind of question fairly frequently. She's such a good person. Why did that have to happen to her? He's such a good Christian. Why would God let that happen to him when we need him to keep on working in the church, serving in the community, and his family needs him to take care of them? See, we got it in our brain somehow <laughs> that our faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to us is somehow... Uh, makes us immune from suffering in this fallen world. And you'll never read a word of that in the Bible. Well, the only answer that we can know is this. It, it, first of all, it is the sovereign Lord's will to accomplish His purposes for His glory in His way in the life of this person. But it goes deeper than that for Christians. We're speaking in the context of Christian faith here. You see, the Apostle Paul answered the question about himself and his suffering in this way, which is applicable for us. This is God's way of doing his work in us. And the Apostle Paul wrote, again, in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure, the gospel, this faith in Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay, very fragile jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So all of Paul's suffering as he fulfilled his calling was sovereignly ordained by God. Sovereignly ordained by God. So that Paul and his companions would rely on God and not on themselves. So that the power of God would be revealed in Paul's weakness. So that the death of Jesus 
would be seen in Paul's suffering. And the resurrection life of Jesus would be seen in Paul's persevering faith through suffering. And therefore, his suffering was a primary means of his witness to the resurrected Lord. And that principle is the same for us. And we might ask the question, you see, a different way. What would keep a man continuing in his work when it involves such opposition and personal suffering all the time? I mean, just think about what we've learned about the the Apostle Paul and what he endured. How could he continue like this with such persevering faith? Why didn't he give up, give in, go home? Well, the answer is the power of the sovereign God at work in him. The same sovereign power of the same sovereign God is available to all of his people, including you and me, through all opposition, persecution, and suffering, suffering of whatever nature we may experience. Suffering with chronic illness, suffering with terminal illness, suffering with grief, suffering with adversity that just won't go away, suffering with problems that can't be solved, suffering with questions that really can't be answered in this life. They are a way in which the sovereign God bears witness to His sovereign power in our lives so that we may bear witness to the resurrection life of Jesus and be more than conquerors in all these things. You see, Paul persevered in his calling despite opposition and suffering because he knew that God is sovereign and that God always works all things according to the counsel of His will and that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. The sovereignty of God. Number two, the mystery of providence. Now, of course, the mystery of God's providence is related to the sovereignty of God. Providence is the way in which God works out or puts into action His will to accomplish His purposes. The Shorter Catechism teaches this biblical truth when it says... God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. Now, Again, it ought to be a great comfort to know and believe that God is governing all creatures and all their actions. But sometimes in God's providence, things don't turn out the way that we want them to. And we don't know why. For example, The Apostle Paul had stood trial before the Roman governor Felix and had given a very solid defense against 
all the false charges levied against him, and Felix knew that, and Felix could have released Paul, but he didn't, and he was a corrupt politician, and he wanted to curry favor with the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, and so Felix kept Paul in prison, and, and, and in the providence of God, who governs all creatures and all their actions, including corrupt politicians, Paul remained in prison in Caesarea for two years. Two years. We know nothing about what happened in those two years, except that Paul was able to receive visitors, and he continued to witness to Felix and Drusilla as he had opportunity. But okay, are, are you there? There you are. There you are. Imprisoned for two years in the providence of God. How are you doing? You don't want to be there. You want to be out, fulfilling your calling. You know that you were there under false charges. You know that you deserve to be free. Do you wonder why God has you there? Do you wonder why He doesn't get you out? Do you wonder why He doesn't answer your prayers? What are your prayers there in prison? And do you still believe that God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions? How are you doing? Now, it was later in another imprisonment in Rome, getting ahead of myself a little bit, but another imprisonment in Rome that the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians. But in that letter to the Philippians, Paul teaches us how to accept the mysteries of God's providence. We may call this abandonment to divine providence. Abandonment to Jesus. Abandonment to the goodness of our Father in heaven. And Paul teaches us how to accept the mysteries of God's providence. And perhaps what he teaches us in his letter to the Philippians, perhaps, perhaps, is something he personally learned during those two years in prison, in Caesarea, or at least those two years in Caesarea might have had something to do with what he wrote to the Philippians and to us, which is this. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Why in God's providence was Paul stuck in prison in Caesarea for more than two years? We don't really know. But what we do know 
is that those years weren't wasted. Those years weren't lost, were not lost in a meaningless, random act of history. Another thing about the mystery of God's providence that we see in the life of Paul in this passage is this. It had been Paul's desire and the Lord's will for Paul to go to Rome. He had never been to Rome. He he wrote his letter to the church in Rome, and he expressed his desire to see them. He says, after he had gone to Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem, and then he was going to make his way to Rome on his way to Spain, but then he had been arrested in Jerusalem. And then he was taken to Caesarea, and he was imprisoned for more than two years. Was he ever going to get to Rome? How was he going to get to Rome? Well, he got to Rome, but not the way in which he expected to. He got to Rome because in his trial before the new governor, Festus, in which, again, Paul defended himself against false accusations, Festus asked Paul if he would like to be taken back to Jerusalem for Festus to try him there. And Paul knew that he would either be killed along the way or killed after he got there. No way, he wasn't going back to Jerusalem. And so Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen appealing to Roman law to be tried before Caesar in Rome. Now, the Emperor Nero at this point in history had not yet become the demonic maniac, which he would become just a few years later. But the point today is that in God's providence, Paul got to Rome, but not in the circumstances he would have wished or planned, but by the providence of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Governor Festus said, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you will go. That was Paul's way to Rome. Not really the way he would have chosen, but the way ordained by his sovereign God who works all things through his providence. And if you've lived long enough, you can look back over the story of your life with all of its turns and twists. (laughs) And you... You can say, you know, I got here today, but it wasn't (laughs) not the way that I had planned. Literally, physically, or spiritually and metaphorically. It's important to be able to see. It's important to be able to see the invisible hand at work in your life. I want us to conclude now not by thinking about God's sovereignty and God's providence in abstract terms which, which might seem cold or, or, or hard or, or merely theoretical. I want you to see God's sovereignty and providence in the life of Paul in the light of God's sovereignty and providence in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was continually opposed, unjustly arrested, 
falsely accused, illegally tried, cruelly flogged, brutally beaten, shamefully mocked, and tortuously killed. All of that happened according to the sovereign will of his Father who works all things to accomplish his purpose. All of that happened for your good and for your eternal salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, if God ordained such injustice and suffering for your salvation through the death of His Son, which He did, then you can be sure, can't you? Whatever hardship or suffering or persecution or unanswered troubling question in your life you may be called to experience and to endure. You can be sure, can't you, that it is nevertheless ordained of God. It is part of His plan. It is a piece of the mysterious puzzle which He is putting together in your life, in our life, corporately, in the life of His church throughout the world as He works all things according to the counsel of His will to accomplish His purpose for His own glory as He works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. As we come to the table of the Lord today to receive Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and glorified, to feed spiritually on Him in our hearts by faith through the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let us believe in the sovereignty of God over all things, in the providence of God in our lives, and the love of God in Christ Jesus with the assurance that there is nothing, no suffering and not even death, which can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To the glory of His name, amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you. We glorify your name. We bless you for your goodness and your mercy in that great work of redemption of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name, O Lord, that you would renew our faith by the truth of your word and empower our lives by the presence of your Spirit so that we might live as more than conquerors in all 
that we say and do and experience until we are received into glory through the merits and mercies of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.